Welcome back to The Shepherd's Pie, a slice of hope to raise faithful kids. I'm Tony Kolank. I'm a professor at Ave Maria School of Law, also the father of five, a homeschooling columnist, and the author of the teen fiction series, The Harwood Mysteries. On that note, I want to make a big shout out to my publisher, Loyola Press. Uh, We got some great news recently on book four, The Merchant's Curse, actually took home two independent press awards as a distinguished favorite, both for the content of the book and for the wonderful cover art that Loyola put into it. So thank you to Loyola for the continued support of that series. Uh, But today on the show, we're speaking with Julaine Fisher, a counselor and a frequent speaker at public schools. And we'll be speaking with her about some of the challenges and struggles facing our kids, especially those who are in the public schools. My guest today is Julaine Fisher, a licensed professional counselor turned fiction author. Her middle grade novels, Sour Lemon and Sweet Tea, and Sour Lemon Strikes Out were awarded the Sela Award in 2020 for the best middle grade novel, and they were also readers' favorite five-star reviews. Tulane is a frequent public school speaker. She's presented her writing strategies and strategies on literacy to 14,000 students in grades three through eight uh, with her powerful message of never give up, which we'll hear more about today. Jelaine and her husband live in North Atlanta. They have teenage twin boys and a few dogs. And her young adult near-future sci-fi thriller, The Text, is actually going to be releasing later this year in September. Jelaine, welcome to The Shepherd's Pie. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Maybe give us a little bit of background. How did you go from being a counselor into being a fiction author writing for especially middle schoolers and teens? Unlike most authors, I had no intention of ever being an author. I was not a good reader or a writer when I was a kid. Reading was very hard for me, very slow. And I like to really share that honesty with kids because I always see kids nodding their head in agreement with me because there just are some out there who are like me who just, you know, haven't grasped that yet. And so I share with them that if I'm standing here in front of you and I can do these talks and I can write books, then you can do anything that you want to do. You can achieve anything because it's really, truly a miracle. Um, In fact, when I told my parents that I was going to write books and have these books published, I I think they were quite shocked. (laughs) Just no, no, no one expected that from me. Um, But I was a licensed professional counselor. Um, I practiced until the birth of my twins, and then I stayed home to uh, raise my children. And when they were very young, I was helping with literacy in several Title I schools and also in my children's elementary school. And I just got the idea that writing a book for children might be fun. I As many books as I read, it really just came from an inspiration from another lady who also was a twin and shared her stories with me. And being a mom of twins, I got inspired to write a book about a whole bunch of twins. So that's how it came about. And that sounds like a lot of fun. And like I said, I love these titles. Maybe tell us a little bit about the premise of your your Sour Lemon novels. Sour Lemon and Sweet Tea is definitely, you can tell there's a little Southerness in that. And yes, I am from the South. The books are set in the South, but they're really true to anyone who's kind of been raised in a more rural environment. The year is 1979, before cell phones and social media took over the attention of our children, and children would play outside. 
And uh, these twins have a number of brothers and sisters. They love to play baseball together as a family, but hard times fall on the family. And Lily is our main character with her twin sister, Ellie. And Lily believes at 11, almost 12 years old, that she can make a difference in her family's life. And she goes about trying to solve the mystery of why the family is going bankrupt and who's actually trying to steal the farm. I know uh, your books are faith-based. Tell us a little bit about how you you know, weave faith into these middle school books. What I like to say is that the Sour Lemon series presents what I call the three pillars of Christian living, which is faith, family, and forgiveness. And the privilege of going into the public schools has been amazing because I can talk about these principles to kids who may never set foot in church and may never pick up a Bible. And because it is presented in a non-threatening way, um, the family goes to church, the family prays, the family talks about God. There has been really just a demand for this type of literature in the public school system. Kids don't want to be preached at. They want to see living. Kids watch what we do more than they listen to what we say. And so the family really structures their life around, you know, that that God is the center of their life, um, that we go to church as a family, that we pray regularly. And so the children are being raised to understand this and it becomes an integral part of them. They never say, oh, you know, stop because we need to pray to Jesus to, you know, reconcile this situation. They just do it. They just, one of the characters, one of the brothers is just, Lily says, you know, for him, praying is like breathing. It just comes so natural. And she doesn't understand how to pray like him. So she's almost going through like a faith journey herself. And and we get to see that, you know, if God is truly a provider, and if God truly answers prayers, maybe he can answer them for a 12-year-old girl who doesn't have fancy words and doesn't know church words. It strikes me that, especially in today's uh, fiction for kids, the one thing that they seem to want to take out is any reference to faith, maybe because they don't want to offend anyone. Uh, But what always bothered me about that is obviously that's not real life, uh, the way most or at least many kids, you know, live it. So it's nice when you have a series like yours, which is going to present it as real life. But it does strike me that if there's those mentions in the books, how is it that you've been able to get into public schools to even talk about your books? Haven't you gotten any pushback from maybe well-meaning but misinformed teachers or principals? I can only give credit to God on this one because it's really, really a miracle. From day one, I reached out to a number of teachers and media specialists that I knew personally. Uh, The very first school where I spoke was my children's middle school, and it is a public school. The response was overwhelming. Um, I think, you know, right now we are hearing so much negative press about the public school libraries and the content that is presented to children. But I can tell you just from my own personal experience that many teachers and media specialists are desperate for good, clean content to present to these children. Despite what you're hearing on the news, there are so many educators who want this type of material. They're begging for this material. 
They want to include all kinds of references to faith, family, forgiveness. These are principles that go throughout our culture and our American way. So I really have not had pushback. Um, I've had the opposite. I've been in over 50 schools, public schools. Um, I've spoken to 14,000 students and never once have I gotten any pushback that I included those principles in my Southern fiction. Now, I cannot say because I don't live in the Northeast or in the West Coast, you know, perhaps I might get some pushback there. I don't know. Perhaps it's because I'm in the South. Um, We still have a little bit of that Bible built in us. So that perhaps could be part of the response as well. And what is your message? I know we talked about in your bio, this idea of never give up. Is that the theme that you use when you go in and give these talks or maybe give us a flavor for what your talks look like? Yeah, absolutely. Never give up really came from my own personal story that I shared at the beginning about not being a good reader and not being a good writer when I was young, you know, led to the fact that I am now a published author. And I think kids really need to hear that just because things are rough and just because you're rejected doesn't mean you need to give up and just quit everything that you try. My kids were not always accepted to that travel sports team. There was a lot of rejection. Sometimes they would win. Sometimes they would lose those sporting events. And it's really in just how we respond to those opportunities and make them teaching moments And so I have used my platform as a speaker and as a public school speaker to be able to bring that to these kids to, you know, perhaps I'm the only one, I don't know, in their life that could say, you know, just because things are rough, don't don't give up, keep working hard at whatever it is that you do. And I don't have to say anything about religion, because the message is still coming through loud and clear. Now, your own kids, your twin boys, have they gone through public school for most of their schooling? Yes, they have been in public school since the very beginning. Yeah, so it's been a good experience for them. All right. So you've seen both as a parent of public school kids and now going in and talking to 14,000 kids from grades three through eight, some of the realities that we're dealing with in our public schools. And I'm wondering what kinds of questions are the kids asking you? I mean, you're giving them talks about never giving up. Are you finding that the kids are opening up to you about some of their own challenges? Oh, definitely. (laughs) Um, The second book, Sour Lemon Strikes Out, deals with bullying and specifically school bullying. And so for one entire year while I was launching that book, my message that year was about school bullying. And I really presented that partnered with some of the local organizations here in Georgia to present you know, an anti-bullying campaign. And the kids would come up to me after and kind of walk me down the hall and say, you know, I was a bully and here's how I handled it. And you could add this to your talk. And they would share their stories with me and and their ideas with me. And just some of the things that they were going through that year specifically, I, I heard a lot of stories of kids who had either been a victim of a bully or been able to kind of overcome bullying, or some of them sadly were still right in the middle of it. And felt that, you know, just the talk itself really was helpful for them. Now, is that what you're finding is one of the big challenges for the kids is bullying? Uh, You know, what are some of the other uh, challenges that you're also seeing out there? 
Well, since that time, um, I, I kind of went back to my theme of, of never give up and kind of using that as the talk. And it's really because of some of the things that are becoming more clear to me of what's going on today in our society and specifically in our schools. As a licensed counselor, I specialized in anxiety disorders, and I really saw the struggle between a person who wanted to or who felt wanted and validated and the state of their mental health. So if we go back in time a little bit to the year 2007, if you think about it, what happened in 2007 that is affecting Gen Z right now, and that's the release of the iPhone. These kids have never known what life is like without a phone. Whether that phone was to distract them, to educate them, to entertain them, life is different for our Gen Z kids. And so there's a lot that has come out of that. And there is a strong correlation between the amount of time kids and teens spend on screen time, specifically social media, and their mental health. You guys have probably heard, most people have heard, the CDC recently released the results of their Youth Risk Behavior Survey, which found that three out of five girls felt persistently sad and hopeless, and more than one in four said they had seriously considered suicide. When we hear that teen depression and suicidal ideation has increased 60% in the last 10 years, it's alarming. And we realize as a society, we have to do something for these kids. Um, I like this quote from psychiatrist Dr. Clifford Sussman, who also studies gaming addiction. And he said, the more time one spends online, the more down regulation occurs, causing a decrease in our ability to feel pleasure. Considering kids spend and teens spend an average of about six to eight hours online with two, three, four hours of that being on social media, it's no wonder that depression has increased. So while social media has a number of positive benefits, it's also created unrealistic comparisons. Is it your view or is the data showing that what is causing this spike in teenage depression and anxiety is in fact social media and, and some of these unrealistic comparisons? I think the data is showing that is one contribution, yes. Whether it is the cause, I cannot say. I just, from my personal experience from as a counselor, as a mom, as one who has talked to a lot of parents and a lot of kids, there is a definite correlation in the mental health of kids and how much time that they are spending on this social media. Last week, for example, I spoke to a group of fourth and fifth graders, and it was for Read Across America Day, and a lot of the kids were dressed in costume as their favorite character. So I commented to one little girl, her costume was beautiful, and I said, you know, you really are beautiful. And she immediately responded to me without hesitation and said, no, I'm not. I'm ugly. And it struck me. I thought, why in the world would this pretty little girl say that? And I just got to thinking about the correlation of this unrealistic comparison. I like to describe social media sites as like kiosks in a mall. Imagine yourself, you're going to the mall to buy a pair of shoes. And on your way to the shoe store, 40 or 50 people stop you to either sell you a product or um, a service. They're, they're literally 
you know, like poking you almost in the face, uh, standing in front of you, blocking your way. And by the time you get to the shoe store, you look in the mirror and you realize my clothes really don't look that good. I don't really like my outfit and, and my hair doesn't look as good as I thought it did. And gosh, I have acne on my face. Look at the pimples. But the guy out there that was selling the, the face cream, he didn't have any pimples. And the and the girl had perfect hair and this perfect outfit. So you turn around, leave the shoe store, and you go back and you buy everything that they were selling. Then you go home, you post it on social media, you try on the clothes and you fix your hair, you post on social media, you get maybe a couple likes, no new followers. So then you post again, and then you buy more, and you post more, and you buy more, and you post more. And pretty soon, our teens and our kids are living at this completely unrealistic comparison. And the reason it's unrealistic is because it isn't real. They're showing you their best side. The influencers have been given these products for free to test on the market, which is us. They're testing it on us to see what we will respond to, to see what our kids will, will buy. And our kids want to go out and buy all these things. They want to be beautiful. They want to have the perfect hair and the perfect clothes like the influencers show. But that's what I mean. It's just completely unattainable. The scene that you described from last week, what would be your advice? I mean, how do we deal with when these kids come out with statements like that, which make it clear that, you know, they aren't viewing reality through the lens of reality, but maybe through the social media lens? Kind of understanding, I think, where they're getting that idea from is really important as parents, um, as caretakers, as teachers, to really dig down into finding out what's going on with, you know, with that particular child. Of course, I did not have the opportunity or the time to do that because, you know, it was just a real quick comment. And then I had to go on and I was not able to spend any more time with that little girl. But if I were having that in my own home, I would want to know where are they getting that idea from? And if you can find out a little bit more like, you know, hey, I'm seeing pictures of these other girls and and they look like this or, you know, for my boys, they're seeing these these influencers with car modifications. They're they're driving now. They want to fix their car and they see these amazing cars and they think, oh, I can just go out and do that and I can do these fancy videos and make millions of dollars and not have to finish my education and trying to understand where are they getting their ideas, whether the child is at a, a Catholic school, a Christian school, a private school, or a public school. It seems to be a pervasive theme that screen time and social media is out of control with these kids, that they do not know how to limit their time. And it is something that is affecting their personality uh, their learning, as well as their self-esteem. All right. So what can we do then? You know, if you're a parent or a teacher or a speaker going into these schools and you're talking to kids, are, is there anything we can do to help kids deal with this? I think there is a lot that we can do. And I think I, I, I want to present it first with scripture. Scripture tells us in Luke 12, 48, much will be demanded of a person to whom much has been given. And even more will be asked of a person to whom more has been entrusted. So as believers in Christ, we've been entrusted to speak truth to those who will listen. As an author, as a speaker, if that is you, you've been given an opportunity. 
as an educator, you've been given an opportunity. And that scripture reminds us that to whom much is given, much is expected. For me personally, what this looks like um, with my upcoming novel is that I've added a segment called You Matter. And I'll be speaking to a lot of older kids, a lot of older teens. And I really want to focus on this idea that kids and teens have significance, that they have value in our society, that there are changes that they can make in their own life and in the life of their family, their society, their community, and that those changes matter. I think they don't feel that anybody's listening. They don't feel validated. And so if we as parents, grandparents, educators can help them feel validated and feel that their contribution to life matters, I think that will also go a long way. There's a couple other things that, that I've thought of, and I'm sure that there are other people who have ideas that they could you know, send to us for some suggestions as well. But I think when we think about the amount of time that these kids are sending on social media, perhaps we can suggest, what if you took, you know, a week off? What if you deleted that app for a week? Um, a good friend of mine works with some youth at our church, and she suggested this to her teen girls and really challenged them. And not all of them took the challenge, but some of them did. And they deleted one particular app that they were feeling like they were spending too much time doing. They came back the next week and they discussed it. And she said, you know, what happened as a result? And they said, I had more time to do other things. You know, I, I did things that I haven't done in a long time because I was spending so much time on this particular app. And she really dove into the self-esteem too. How did that make you feel? And the girls all reported, I just felt better. I felt better about myself. I, I stopped comparing myself to all these people online. Um, if you need further proof, the New York Post actually reported a study recently. This came out of the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario Research Institute that showed that teens' body image significantly improved by cutting time on social media in half. The change was immediate. These kids saw themselves as more beautiful, uh, less fat, less ugly. And, you know, it just doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that less time comparing ourselves gives us more time to see the reality of who God sees us, that we are truly beautiful and that we are unique and that God has created us to be exactly who we are at this particular time and day and with the exact family he's given us. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, your new book, which is coming out in September, and we haven't even had a chance to talk about that. But what I'd like to do today is uh, save my entertainment segment to talk about your upcoming release, uh, The Text. All right, in our entertainment segment, we are going to be talking about Julaine's new release coming out in September, uh, her near future sci-fi thriller, The Text. What is The Text and what audience is it for? Yeah, The uh, Text is a young adult near future sci-fi thriller. Premise is 25 years after a pandemic killed one third of the world's population. Technology is thriving under a different governmental society. 
The main character is a 16-year-old girl named Raimi, and Raimi gets a text message during a phone outage that tells her she's being watched. That night, her mother goes missing, and a complete web of conspiracy and lies began to happen, circled around the mother missing, and despite the technology that is prevalent in this society and the millions of cameras, no one can seem to locate her mother. In the midst of her trying to solve this mystery, her brother's life is threatened and Raimi is forced to choose what she believes. It really explores what happens in the future if we continue down this path of excessive, unrestricted technology. But the overarching theme of the young adult thriller, the text, is Will you choose to stand up for what is right, even if it means losing everything and everyone you love? Wow. And and who's our, our intended audience for this series? Teens ages 13 all the way up to 18. And of course, adults, because I myself love reading young adult fiction. So I'm a, a big consumer of that market as well. You know, it's funny because my wife teases me because um, when I talk about my uh, my young adult or teen series, uh, also I, I say things like that too, and she's like, "Yeah, but the market can't be for adults too if it's teen fiction." <laughs> but yet there are, you know, plenty of adults who enjoy reading uh, young adult books. You know, I loved your Merchant's Curse, the fourth book that just won. Congratulations on all those uh, awards you just received on that. Thank but you. I I love these books. I find that kids are, you know, as a character or a teen as a character, they're uninhibited in a way that maybe adult characters, you know, have to, they have to be portrayed in certain expectations for adults to take other adult characters seriously. Or as a kid can get away with a lot of things. They can get away with saying things that an adult could never say, you know, making a really dumb choice, but it's all part of the story. And and you get to see these teens and these kids make some really dumb choices and then realize by the end, wow, they really came about. And I love dystopian. Um, I love the post-apocalypse series. And so I kind of weaved a little bit of that idea into this book, the text. And so you'll see these characters really going from, you know, I really didn't know there was anything wrong with my society to becoming leaders within their community. So, all right. So folks want to get a hold of uh, your new release when it comes out or some of your sour lemon books or learn just a little bit more about you. Where should they go? So um, they can go immediately to my website, julainefisher.com. The Sour Lemon series is going to re-release the second edition in April this year. And then the text will release in September of this year. And so I also am on Facebook, Instagram, and occasionally Twitter. Yeah, we'd love to hear from my readers and uh, let me know what you think about these books. Wonderful. Well, Julaine, it's been so nice having you on the show today. And thank you for sharing uh, your expertise as a counselor and also as somebody who's going into the public schools. I really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. It was an honor. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for the show. We've been speaking with Julaine Fisher about 
the struggles our kids face in and out of public schools, especially with social media. Again, this is Anthony Barone Kolank. If you have a question or a topic you want me to cover on the show, just drop me a line on my website at anthonykolank.com. And if you visit there, you'll also learn more about the Harwood Mysteries. Until next time, may God bless you and your families as we work together to raise faithful kids. Thank you.